Thank you for listening to this teaching from Kingdom Discipleship. In Luke chapter 9, Jesus goes up on a mountaintop with his disciples and is there transfigured before them. Luke tells us that his clothes were like a bolt of lightning. It is indeed amazing, not that Jesus was transfigured before them and revealed his deity, but that Jesus hid his deity in his human form for 33 years. Let's open our Bible now to Luke chapter 9 and look at this incredible account of the transfiguration of Jesus Christ our Lord. Well, good morning and welcome to another teaching. It is a Wednesday morning here in Texas and hopefully y'all just rocking in Jesus, baby. Just spending time with Jesus, growing to know Jesus, just, uh, you know, just getting more excited about your relationship with Jesus Christ, our Lord. Uh, you know, we, you, you cannot say it enough. It could be said another trillion times. And remember, it takes a thousand billion to make a trillion and a thousand million to make a billion. So it could be said a trillion times and it's not enough that there is nothing in our lives that's of greater benefit. There's nothing in our lives that's more edifying to us. There's nothing in our lives that that's of more value than spending time with Jesus Christ, growing to know him growing to love him, growing to know his love for you, and above all, growing to obey him and, uh, you know, growing to repent when we fall short. I mean, it's the meaning of life. Um, and the more you grow to know Jesus, the more, the more fun and exciting and the more meaning that come from walking with him and experiencing him. Um, and the, the more real, you know, all this, it, it all becomes. So thank you, Lord Jesus. Okay, a lot of, a lot of scripture today. Um, we're going to try to get through Luke 9, verses 28 to 45. Um, just, just powerful stuff from Jesus here. So, Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for our Bible. We thank you that we have, Father, our holy Bible. We thank you that our Bible is a holy Bible. And uh, Father, we just thank you that we have these scriptures in your word to feed us, to feed our spirit and to feed our soul. But Father, above all, we thank you for Jesus, our only Lord and Savior and Master and King. Lord Jesus, we thank you for becoming a human man for us. We thank you for living a perfect life for us. We thank you for dying a, a perfect death for us. And we thank you that you are alive and risen today. And we worship you today, Lord Jesus. Holy Spirit, we ask you to lead us and guide us now as we open your word. We ask you to give us eyes that see and ears that hear and hearts that um, understand. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Okay, Luke 9, verse 28. About eight days after Jesus said this, he took Peter, John, and James with him and went up onto a mountain to pray. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor, talking with Jesus. They spoke about his departure, which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. 
Peter and his companions were very sleepy, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. As the men were leaving Jesus, Peter said to him, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what he was saying. While he was speaking, a cloud appeared and enveloped them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. A voice came from the cloud saying, This is my son whom I cho- who I have chosen. This is my son whom I have chosen. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, they found that Jesus was alone. The disciples kept this to themselves and told no one at that time what they had seen. The next day when they came down from the mountain, a large crowd met him. A man in the crowd called out, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son, for he is my only child. A spirit seizes him and he suddenly screams. It throws him into convulsions so that he foams at the mouth. It scarcely ever leaves him and is destroying him. I begged your disciples to drive it out, but they could not. O unbelieving and perverse generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you and put up with you? Bring your son here. Even while the boy was coming, the demon threw him to the ground in a convulsion. But Jesus rebuked the evil spirit, healed the boy, and gave him back to his father. And they were all amazed at the greatness of God. While everyone was marveling at all that Jesus did, he said to his disciples, Listen carefully to what I am about to tell you. The Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of men. But they did not understand what this meant. It was hidden from them so that they did not grasp it, and they were afraid to ask him about it. Thank you, Lord Jesus. So just, uh, yeah, wow, just, just powerful powerful stuff. Thank you, Lord Jesus. All right, look at this. This is called the transfiguration here in verse 28, where Jesus is really transfigured. And, you know, he allows his, uh, this, this earthly container that's housing his glory to be shed, right? It's yeah. Okay. Verse 28, about eight days after Jesus said this, he took Peter, John, and James with him and went up onto a mountain to pray. So again, I, I, you know, it's, it, it's, it's really, you know, it's noteworthy that John is specific here. Again, he's giving a timeline of what happened. Again, this gospel is a, is a, is a sound, clear, historical account, okay, of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, our Lord. In, uh, you know, in, in Matthew and in Luke, we have the, uh, again, this is Luke, it's not John, um, but in Matthew and Luke, we also have the birth. Again, so the four Gospels are historical accounts. They are, they're, they're absolute history books. They're not only history books, but they are reliable history of the birth, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, our Lord, and of the things he said and did. Okay, so you see John here is specific about eight days after Jesus said this. So so again, John has given you a a reliable timeline here. He took Peter, John and James with him and went up onto a mountain to pray. Now, that's important um, that that they went up together and they went up to pray together. 
Okay, so now we don't know how long they were praying, but they might have been praying for hours. Okay, could have been two hours, three hours, five hours, ten hours. We don't know, but we know that it was long because it says in verse 32, Peter and his companions were very sleepy. Okay, so, you know, there's a good possibility they were praying there for two hours, three hours, five hours. We don't know, Um, but it's probable that they became sleepy because, you know, they were getting tired. Right. Um, And so they were up there to pray. Um, And what's going to happen? You know, as they're praying, it says in verse 29, as he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Yeah. So this is how the Holy Spirit, this is how John describes it. These are the words that John uses to describe the glory of Jesus. So, you know. You know, scholars have said what was amazing is not that, you know, that Jesus, you know, revealed himself in this way. That's not what's amazing. What was amazing was that for 33 and a half years or so, you know, he kept this glory, this his his deity, his godness, so to speak, under wrap. That's what's uh, that's what's amazing rap. Right. You know, not that that that, you know, he was transfigured in this way and his face was changed and and the magnificence of his glory and deity was revealed. That's not what's amazing. What's amazing is that, you know, he willingly kept that under wrap inside a a human body and a human vessel for the 33 plus years of his life. but you notice it was as he as he was praying, the appearance of his face changed, and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Um, uh, this is a this is a clear and strong exhortation to the power of prayer. Okay, most of us you know have some time in prayer as Christians, but but we spend very little time in prayer. If we really understood the power of prayer, the revelation that can come through prayer, the blessings of our of our Father and of Jesus and of the Holy Spirit that are bestowed on us in prayer, and, and really just what might happen in prayer, we would all pray substantially more. Certain, certainly I would, right? Now, now, Jesus doesn't tell him this. He says, we're going to go up in this mountain and pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face changed. So I'll say again, um, you know, we really do want to give ourselves to the discipline of prayer and thanksgiving more and more and more and more. I mean, there's really nothing more valuable we do than when we're spending time in the word of God and when we're spending time in, in prayer, right? Spending time just communicating with our Heavenly Father and with the Lord Jesus and with the Holy Spirit. Again, you can pray and should pray to every member of the Trinity. Pray to God the Father. Pray to God the Son, Jesus. Pray to God the Holy Spirit. They don't get jealous, okay? Um, Just like we praise God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, we pray to God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. They're all God, right? You remember the whole hymn? Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. I don't know the name of that hymn, um, but 
I've sung it many, many, many times, right? Most of us have. Um, so we praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. We, we pray to Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, and we give thanks to God the Father, God the Son, Jesus, and God the Holy Spirit. They're all God, okay? Don't pray to people alive or dead, okay? Pray only to, to, to any person, to any member of the triune God. Remember, we have one God, but there is so much to his essence he is actually represented in three distinct individual persons, right? One being, but represented in three distinct persons, okay? Again, it's not one being manifesting himself in three different personalities. They're actually three distinct separate persons, okay? Um, you and I are human beings. We're one being, and we're also one person. He's one being, but three individual separate persons. It's the mystery of the Trinity. It's it's incredible. And in Jesus Christ, we have relationship with each member of the Trinity. So again, in the time of prayer, this incredible revelation of Jesus comes. And, I, and, and I'll say again, the more we give ourselves to the discipline of prayer, the more we pray. And again, you don't have to pray for an hour at a time. You can pray 25, 30 times a day for a minute or two right? Or for 20 seconds, but just get in the habit of talking to Jesus and talking to your heavenly father and talking to the Holy Spirit and just having conversation with them. Okay. Prayer is not just asking for things. Certainly it's good. And our heavenly father wants us to ask for things, but, but there ought to be conversational prayer. Just, just talking to Jesus throughout your day, talking to the Holy Spirit, talking to your heavenly father, right? All right. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. So again, all of a sudden, you know, Jesus allows his, again, this, this human form to be pushed back. And now you see full-blown God here. Look at verse 30. Two men, Moses and Elijah, that's verse 30. Two men, Moses and Elijah. It's interesting that Luke mentions it's Moses and Elijah, which means they were recognizable. And this is good news for us. Okay. Uh, I've said this before. This is one, uh, Becky, this is one of the most faith building parts of scripture right here in Luke 9 in all the Bible. Because it says two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor talking with Jesus. They spoke about his departure which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. Why is this so exciting? It's exciting because Moses and Elijah are alive, right? They've been dead for what? You know, 2,000 and, you know, 1,000 years? Something around that, or 1,500 and 1,000 years they died, right? Now, again, you know, Elijah was taken up to heaven. He never died, and Moses died on the mountain, and, you know, but... But these men, Moses and Elijah, are alive, y'all, and they're speaking to Jesus. And the other exciting thing is that they're recognizable, right? The disciples recognize them. Peter, James, and John recognize them as Moses and Elijah. So what does that tell us? It tells us, May, that when we, when we go to heaven, we're going to be able to recognize one another. And, and isn't that exciting? We're going to be able to recognize our brothers and sisters in Christ and in all those who were saved, right? And those we were in fellowship with and community with. And uh, 
And, and you know, they are talking. They're alive, right? And they're talking with Jesus and they appear in glorious splendor. And so again, when when we live, when we live this life and we go and we get our our heavenly bodies, our immortal bodies, we're not going to use, by the way, as a side note, any of this earthly body. None of this earthly body, none will be used in the heavenly body. You remember in 1 Corinthians 15, where Paul said, the, the, the mortal cannot inherit the immortal, okay? So nothing from this life goes into the next life. We'll be given an immortal body. And we can see that here with Moses and Elijah. Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor. And so we get a picture of what our immortal body will look like. Obviously, they're conscious. Obviously, they're reasoning. Obviously, they're thinking. And so it's it's exciting. This is such a faith builder that they're alive, that this life is not all there is. In Jesus Christ, there is a resurrection from the dead, and we will spend eternity in heaven talking with Jesus, right? Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor talking with Jesus. They spoke about his departure. He was about to be taken up to heaven, right? Which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem, right? Now he was going to he was going to die for the sin of the world. He was going to give himself on behalf of the world, on on your behalf and on my behalf, okay? Jesus lived a perfect righteous life. In our place, in all of our place, a righteous life we could not live, but needed. Then he died a perfect righteous death, a death that he didn't deserve, but one that we did did deserve. So he lived a perfect righteous life in our behalf and on our place, a righteous life we could not live. And then he died a perfect righteous death on our behalf and in our place, a death that we should have died right? And was raised from the dead. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do you believe that Jesus is the son of God? Do you believe that he did come to this world and lived the perfect righteous life for you and died a perfect righteous death for you and has been raised from the dead? And are you trusting in Jesus? Have you received him as your only Lord and savior? Are you relying on him alone for the forgiveness of your sins and the salvation of your soul and deliverance from eternal hell. Without Jesus, only hell awaits. John 1.12 says that to all who received him, Jesus, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Have you genuinely received Jesus Christ as your only Lord and Savior? You're not sure. You can just pause the tape now, okay? And just, just humble yourself in prayer and go before Jesus and just just pray to him, Lord Jesus, I, I, I confess I'm a sinful person. Lord Jesus, I know I've done wrong. Lord Jesus, I know that I am hopeless and helpless and desperate without you. But Lord Jesus, I believe you are the son of God. And I believe that you did come into this world and lived a perfect righteous life for me and died a, a perfect righteous death for me. And I believe you are alive and risen today. And therefore, Lord Jesus, I ask you now to come into my heart. I ask you to be the Lord of my life, Lord. I ask you to save me from my sin, Lord Jesus, and to bring me to heaven when I die. Lord Jesus, I place all my faith and hope and trust and confidence in you alone to save me and to be my everlasting Lord and God. That's a Christian. That's how you become a Christian. Now, again, 
it's not the words that save us, right? We're not saved just by, by saying words to Jesus. Um, it's Jesus who saves us. But we do use our words to communicate our, our heart to Jesus. So again, if you're not sure that, that you're a Christian today, if you're not sure that you're genuinely trusting in Christ, maybe you said, I believe in Jesus intellectually, but I don't know that I'm, that I'm trusting and relying on him. Well, rewind the tape. Go back and, and humble yourself before Jesus and, and go ahead and use the words I used and just and humble yourself and receive him as your Lord and Savior. Again, John 1.12 says that to all who received him, Jesus, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Okay, and so they're talking to Jesus about, again, about his departure. Again, he's going he's gonna to die and give his life for the sin of the world, right? First John 2. Um, and then you know, he'll be raised from the dead, and then 40 days later, he's going to be taken up to heaven. He'll depart and go back to heaven where he came from. Verse 32, Peter and his companions were very sleepy. Again, now why would you be sleepy, right? Uh, again, the explanation is that they've, they're, they're very possibly in prayer for a long time. It could have been two, three, five, seven hours. We don't know. But Peter and his companions were very sleepy. But when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. So again, there's a clear distinction. Although that, that Moses and Elijah were in glorious splendor, the splendor of Jesus is even greater, right? The glory of Jesus is even, is even greater. Yeah, you remember in Revelation chapter 1, when uh, the apostle John sees the risen Christ, he says, I fell, he said, I fell at his feet as though dead. When he saw the glory and splendor of Jesus Christ. Again, it says that his clothes became like a flash of lightning. I've never been like three feet from a flash of lightning, but I'm suspecting it's it's pretty glorious, pretty bright, right? It says they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. Look at verse 33. As the men were leaving Jesus, Peter said to him, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And then it says, in parentheses, he did not know what he was saying. He's just talking. Um, and again, we see this often of Peter. Sometimes Peter knocks the ball out of the park and says, you are the Christ. You know, sometimes Peter and his impulsiveness will, will really get something right. But then there are also times where he just, he's talking when he shouldn't be, right? Um, he's an impulsive man. And again, when we see the, the disciples we can see the different personalities in each of us, right? Some of us are more like Peter. Some are more like John. Some are more like Paul. Some are more like a, a John the Baptist, right? Um, and so we can see the in the different personalities in the Gospels, um, you know, and in all the books of Scripture of, of the different men and women of God. And, and you know, we can see some, some traits in ourselves. Certainly I have been, made, uh, you know, made mistakes in in my life by, by being too impulsive like this. But why is Peter doing this? Why does he say it? Well, look, it says, as the men were leaving Jesus. So now, now Moses and Elijah are, are leaving Jesus. Now, again, when we see Moses, Moses in the scripture often represents the law, okay? The first five books of the Bible, right? Um, um, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, right? And Elijah represents the prophets, right? Elijah is considered by many the greatest prophet. 
And that's all the rest of the books of the Old Testament, right? So Moses, the first five books, Elijah, the next 34 books, the law and the prophets represents the entire Old Testament. And they're there talking with Jesus, who's now the fulfillment of all the scripture in the New Testament. It's just, it's just powerful, right, Corinne? Thank you, Lord Jesus. But it says, as the men were leaving, Jesus, Peter said to him, Master, it's good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. Well, Peter doesn't want him to leave, right? It had to be a time on the mountaintop that was so incredible. Experiencing Jesus, right, Chris, was just so incredible. It was so deep. The presence rolling was so substantial that they didn't want to leave. So we get it, right? They're on the mountaintop, and Peter don't want this to end, right? He could just stay. I mean, again, imagine to see the glory of Jesus and you're hanging out with Moses and Elijah. You don't want it to end. And so he makes this suggestion to Jesus. And, you know, I've spent my life in making suggestions to Jesus that uh, <laughs> many times are not right. And nor is this one, because look what happens. Verse 34, while he was speaking, so Peter's still talking. While he was speaking, a cloud appeared and enveloped them. And they were afraid as they entered the cloud. Verse 35, a voice came from the cloud saying, this is my son whom I have chosen. Listen to him. Okay, so God the Father surrounds Peter, James, and John. And it says they were afraid. And a voice came from the cloud saying, this is my son. The Father speaking of Jesus whom I have chosen, listen to him. Clearly the father is saying, Peter, you can stop talking now. I want you to listen to Jesus. You don't need to be making suggestions to Jesus, okay? Um, and so it says they were afraid. You know, I've often said that, you know, it says in verse 36, when the voice had spoken, they found that Jesus was alone. The disciples kept, it, kept this to themselves and told no one at that time what they had seen. I've said, you know, you know, when they were walking down the mountain and I've certainly had brothers in Christ be frustrated with me when I've when I've done and said and impulsive things. But can you picture him walking down the mountain and the Apostle John looking at uh, Peter and saying, you know, what made you think you needed to tell Jesus what was good? Lord, it's good for us to be here. Let me put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. If you can imagine John saying, you know, the first time I heard the voice of God, the father, he was rebuking me because you felt you needed to tell Jesus what was good. I appreciate that, Peter. I do. And then Peter's like, I'm sorry. I don't, I don't, I don't know. I, I'm, I, don't, I didn't even know what I was saying. Because, <laughs> you know, you remember in verse 33, uh, Luke says in parentheses, he did not know what he was saying. It is interesting that although Peter was the one making the unsolicited suggestion to Jesus. Um, and again, we see the heart why he did it. He didn't want to leave. Um, all three of them were brought into the cloud, you know, so we are our brother's keeper, right? We are, you know, you know, Paul says in, uh, you know, Corinthians, when one part of the body suffers, the body of Christ, and we're all brothers and sisters in Christ, in some ways it all suffers. And when one part is exalted, it all, you know, we all rejoice in that. So thank you, Lord Jesus. And that's how it ought to be. We ought to walk and carry one another's sufferings and burdens and help one another. And we ought to rejoice when a part of the body of Christ is exalted and blessed, right? Thank you, Lord Jesus. All right, verse 37. The next day when they came down from the mountain, 
Okay, so now it's again, it's, it's apparently a little bit of a walk here, right? The next day when they came down from the mountain, and, and again, again, look at the specificity of John. This has happened of, of Luke. The next day when they came down from the mountain, a large crowd met him, met Jesus. A man in the crowd called out, teacher, I beg you to look at my son, for he is my only child. Okay, so a man comes out of the crowd calls out to Jesus, teacher, I beg you to look at my son for he is my only child. And again, this is the kind of earnest way we want to approach Jesus, right, Esther? Uh, I mean, uh, Peyton, do you have a, just a life where you are just earnestly coming to Jesus, almost begging him you want him to be involved so much in your situation? This man wants Jesus involved so much on behalf of his son that he begs him. And again, we need to start having this kind of earnest just, um, you know, just just passionate prayer life that, that, that will beg Jesus to get involved. And not just when we have a problem. You and I, Scott, ought to want Jesus to be in every aspect of our lives. And we ought to be earnestly pleading with him to be involved with us. And boy, do we ever need him. Wow. A man in the crowd called out, teacher, I beg you to look at my son for he is my only child. Verse 39, a spirit seizes him. And he suddenly screams. It throws him into convulsions so that he foams at the mouth. It scarcely ever leaves him and is destroying him. I begged your disciples to drive it out, but they could not. It, uh, you know, scholars say that what the child is dealing here is with uh, what today the medical community would probably call, you know, just like an epileptic seizure. Right. Um, you know, and, and seizures are, are horrible. You know, we have a we have a brother, a leader in our ministry, Josh, who's uh, who deals with seizures and they're difficult. And in this case, it was a demon causing the seizure. But, you know, when we see someone that's hurting or sick or in pain, I remember I was on the plane, you know, like a year ago in November, we were coming back from Thanksgiving and I took a, a sleeping pill that I take to help me sleep. Um you know, I've had, you know, I had insomnia for years and, uh, man, I didn't have a good reaction and I got up and I just, man, I took two steps and I, I fell to the ground, boom, just, just blacked out, bang. And, you know, immediately my wife got out, came up out of her seat and she was, she was praying to Jesus boldly and like, you know, whatever, there's 30 people there that you're, you're on the plane that can, can hear you. We, we had been flying for probably an hour already. My wife is earnestly, earnestly praying, Lord Jesus, you know, we ask your mercy, your blessing, your healing. And again, I came to in probably a, a couple of seconds, right? And, you know, helped myself up and I was, I was bleeding. I mean, I fell on my face, right? It's a good thing I got a big, thick head, um, you know, and actually felt better after that, you know, um, and I thank you, Lord Jesus. Um, and, you know, and so, you know, when, when someone is, is sick and obviously this, you know, we ought to be praying. We, we, we ought to be going to Jesus, right? Um, you know, in this case, in verse 40, it says, I begged your disciples to drive it out, but they could not. Now, this is interesting because in the beginning of the chapter, Jesus gives them power and authority to, to heal the sick and to drive out demons, right? And to cure those who had diseases. But here it isn't working. And so you can picture like these nine guys, these nine disciples, because remember, Peter, James, and John were with Jesus coming down the mountain. 
So you can picture them in this circle and just trying to drive out this demon in the name of Jesus, right? Demonic spirit, be gone. You have no place here. In Jesus' name, be gone. Again, we don't drive out demons in our own power. We do it in the name and the power of Jesus Christ. And again, uh, as C.S. Lewis said, you ought not have, you know, a, 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 a too big of an interest in demons or the devil, but, but also, you know, you ought not have too little. It is real, right? There are demonic forces. The devil and the demons are real. But when you're, when you're dealing with a demon, everything is in Jesus, in the name of Jesus and in the power of Jesus, right? Remember in Jude when it says, even the archangel Michael when disputing with the devil about the, bo bo the body of Moses, did not bring a slanderous accusation against it, but said only, my Lord rebuke you, right? It's in, in Jesus' name, I rebuke you. And so apparently there are, there are demons that have, you know, that have different, different strengths, right? Um, and, and this demon was resisting, you know, being driven out by the disciples. They didn't have the, the power to do it. You know, they didn't have the power to drive out this demon. Um, although, again, they were just, you know, some couple of weeks earlier, you know, they were going from village to village and town to town, driving out demons, healing the sick and curing diseases. But the guy says, I begged your disciples to drive it out, but they could not. So you can almost see this, you know, the, the nine disciples circled around a boy and commanding the demon to leave and it wouldn't leave. Right. It, it just it was resisting the disciples, right? Um, and so again, it, it, it appears clearly that some demons have more strength to resist uh, than others. Um, and, and again, um, it is noteworthy here, and, and I'll get into this next time, but look at how Satan and the demons treat children, right? Teacher, I beg you to look at my son, for he's my only child, a spirit seizes him and he suddenly screams. It throws him into convulsions so that he foams at the mouth. It scarcely ever leaves him and is destroying him. That's how dark the demonic forces are, that they'll treat even children this way. Look at the contrast be between how, how Jesus treats children. Look at verse 40, 46. An argument started among the disciples as to which of them was the greatest. And we'll talk about that next time. A ridiculous argument, right? Verse 47, Jesus, knowing their thoughts, took a little child and had him stand beside him. Then he said to them, whoever becomes like this little child in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. For he, is, for he who is least among you all, he is the greatest. A little child is unassuming. A little child isn't caring about status. Little child doesn't care who's the greatest. He's innocent. He's pure. You know, you know, he'll share his heart and thoughts, right? He's not sinless, but again, he's not caught up in status and, and pride and arrogance and all these other things. But you can see a tremendous difference between how Jesus deals with children and, and how evil demonic forces are toward children, right? I begged your disciples to drive it out, but they could not. And this is interesting, right? Sometimes we, we go to, to men and women, and that's a good thing. We, need, we do need to go to our brothers and sisters in Christ when we need prayer. But again, we, we need Jesus, okay? Ultimately, people don't need me. They need Jesus, okay? Having your mom, your dad, your pastor, your brother, your sister, you know, your family, what we need 
is Jesus. I begged your disciples to drive it out, but they could not. You know, the man was tired, okay? These nine guys were earnestly trying to heal his son, earnestly trying to free his son the way Jesus had given them and taught them to do and given them power to do, but they couldn't do it. So this man is tired of this, so he runs to Jesus when he sees Jesus and says, Jesus, you know, I, I beg you to heal my son. I asked your boys to do it, but they can't do nothing. There are times in our life where we're going to need Jesus and Jesus himself and Jesus personally to help us. And that ought to be our desire. Now, again, of course, we want prayer from our brothers and sisters in Christ. But you see that, that the disciples, they couldn't do anything. They couldn't, they couldn't handle this situation. Look what Jesus says in 41. Oh, believing in perverse generation. It's an odd statement. You know, Jesus here is going to, he's clearly off put. Okay. He's clearly bothered by the lack of power in the disciples. Um, and he says in 41. So again, it says in 40, the man says, I begged your disciples to drive it out, to drive out the demon, but they could not. 41, Jesus speaking. Oh, unbelieving and perverse generation, Jesus replied. How long shall I stay with you and put up with you? Bring your son here. I mean, it's, uh, again, Jesus is, uh, is clearly not happy at the lack of faith in his disciples. He's not happy um, at their inability. And, and, and clearly his statement implies that if they, if, if, they were, if they were moving properly in the faith that he had given them and that they did have, they would have been able to drive it out. Oh, unbelieving and perverse generation. He's saying it's their unbelief. And again, our unbelief, the, the lack of depth in our faith, the lack of refinement in our faith leads to all kinds of problems. That's why we always talk about spending time with Jesus and growing to know Jesus. As you grow to know D Jesus, your faith is refined, right, Chloe? Your faith is, is deepened, right, Jason? You, have a, you, you just go deeper in your faith. And your faith is more and more refined. The impurities in your faith are removed more and more as you're sanctified and spend more and more time growing to know Jesus and walking with him and living for him and obeying him and, and repenting when we fall short. And so Jesus is off put. It's just a, you know, again, it, it seems a little odd. We don't expect this from Jesus. And so, you know, he goes out of his way when the man says, you know, I begged your disciples to, to drive out the demon, but they could not. Oh, unbelieving and perverse generation. So again, he's speaking to the disciples and everyone there. Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you and put up with you? Jesus is saying like, you know, this is starting to wear on me. It's getting old. You know, um, again, Jesus is God. He's perfect. And we too are an unbelieving and perverse generation. How long shall I stay with you, Jesus said, how, and put up with you, right? It, Jesus has to put up with our unbelief. And that's something that ought to grieve us. Lord Jesus, I ask you to forgive me. Lord, I'm sorry that, you know, how much you have to put up with my perversion and my unbelief. Lord, I'm sorry. I, I just hadn't thought of that. I hadn't, you know, I hadn't considered how much you really have to put up with my perversion and my unbelief. Oh, unbelieving and perverse generation, Jesus replied. Lord, it's not that you have to, you choose to. So I just ask you to forgive me. Forgive us, Lord, and cleanse us. And I ask you to help us to be a believing 
and faith-filled generation. Bring your son here, Jesus said. Verse 42, even while the boy was coming, the demon threw him to the ground in a convulsion. This is interesting. This demon is so stubborn, okay? Undoubtedly, the demon knows that, that his time is up, okay? That he's not going to be able to resist Jesus, but still in just an act of defiance. Even while the boy was coming, the demon threw him to the ground in a convulsion, okay? You could just see, the again, the defiance of this demon. But Jesus rebuked the evil spirit, healed the boy, and gave him back to his father. Just like that. The disciples, it could have been hours, right? The demon cannot resist Jesus, okay? Uh, Jesus created them as angels. They went bad as demons, okay? But Jesus rebuked the evil spirit, healed the boy, gave him back to his father. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Yeah, it's something a little different now, okay? Jesus is the boss. Jesus is the creator. He's the all in all. He's the alpha and the omega, there's no power that he doesn't have. But Jesus rebuked the evil spirit. But Jesus. John may not be able to do anything, but Jesus. But Jesus. And the only power we have is in Jesus, Stephen. But Jesus rebuked the evil spirit, healed the boy, and gave him back to his father. Verse 43, and they were all amazed. And they were all amazed at the greatness of God. You know, sometimes, you know, Sometimes we're on a mountaintop, and like Peter, we want to stay on the mountaintop, but, but we do have to come down into this, this demon-filled world. And, uh, you know, we, we ought to consistently be amazed at the greatness of our triune God. It says, and they were all amazed at the greatness of God. Are you amazed, Uncle Dennis, at the greatness of God? Are you all amazed... At, at the greatness of who Jesus is, your God amazed at the greatness of the Holy Spirit, amazed at the greatness of your heavenly Father. Are you amazed, Pete? Wow. While everyone was marveling at all that Jesus did, he said to his disciples, verse 44 now, listen carefully to what I'm about to tell you. The Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of men. Now, he's already told them this earlier, okay? He's made it very clear to them. You remember um, in verse 22, and he said, the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests and teachers of the law, and he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. So that's 20 verses earlier. Jesus told this to his disciples, you know, about eight days ago, right? And so now he tells him here after he drives out the demon, listen carefully to what I'm about to tell you. The son of man is going to be betrayed into the hands of men. Okay. So again, he's, he's explaining to his disciples what's going to happen. Verse 45, but they did not understand what this meant. Again, they still had the idea. They still believed that the Messiah, the Savior, Jesus was going to be a physical deliverer. They were still looking for Jesus to deliver them, you know, out from under the hands of the oppression of the Romans, right? Uh, remember, Israel was under the control of Rome, right? So they were looking for like a, a great conquering king, like King David or Alexander the Great, to come and lead them, right? They wanted a Maximus in Jesus. They wanted some kind of gladiator that was going to lead them 
out from under the oppression of Rome, but that's not what they needed. That's not what we need. We don't need a physical deliverer. We need a spiritual deliverer, right? We don't need to be given more physical life. We need spiritual life. We need eternal life. But they did not understand what this meant. It was hidden from them so so that they did not grasp it. Okay, we can often hear things. We can hear Jesus, but it doesn't mean we grasp it. Okay, and the more we press into Jesus, the the less it'll be hidden from us. Okay, again, this is why I can't say it enough and enough and enough. This is why we spend time with Jesus, Ian. This is why we spend time, Pop. This is why we spend time, Susan. This is why we spend time with Jesus. This is why we look to grow in our devotional life. Okay, because we don't understand them. We can hear the words of Jesus and they seem plain to us here. Right? That's what happened. He was betrayed in the hands of men. He was killed, right? He did suffer and he was raised from the dead on the third day, right? Why does it say the third day? Well, he was crucified on the Friday. He spent that part of Friday in the grave. He spent all Saturday in the grave and part of Sunday in the grave. And so Sunday, the third day, he was raised, right? Um, not three full days, but parts of three days, right? And now again, his, his body was in the grave, but his soul and spirit were not, right? They were working too, or he was, okay? But they did not understand what this meant. It was hidden from them so, they, so that they did not grasp it. And they were afraid to ask him about it. Again, we, we, we don't need to be afraid to ask Jesus anything. In prayer, you know, we ought to be asking Jesus more and more for understanding and revelation of who he is. It's good to ask for things. Of course, he wants us to ask for our, our physical needs and desires and healings and blessings for ourselves and others. But more and more, we ought to be asking Jesus for understanding and for revelation. And again, the more time we spend in prayer and in fellowship and community and, and service and just using our time, talents and money uh, in the advancement of the cause of Christ and the kingdom of God and the son of God and the gospel of God, the more we'll grasp the meaning of really who Jesus is and grasp the meaning of of what, uh, you know, of what he's saying, right? And we don't need to be afraid to ask him about it, okay? We need to ask him about it. Well, Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your favor. We thank you for your grace. We just, uh, again, Father, I, I ask you to forgive me, Lord, um, you know, where, where I'm not amazed at the greatness of God. Forgive me where I have been, uh, you know, where I just take it as commonplace, Father, forgive us. And Father, forgive us again where we are an unbelieving and uh, perverse generation, Father. Um, Lord, I do ask you to, to help us. Holy Spirit, I ask you to convict us. Holy Spirit, I ask you to drive us to Jesus and give us eyes that see Jesus and ears that hear him and hearts that understand him and help us just drive us, Holy Spirit, in a greater devotion to Jesus Christ, our Lord, and help us to listen carefully. Even as verse 44 says, listen carefully to what I'm about to tell you. Forgive me, Lord, where I'm, I'm not careful in listening to you. Father, we just love you and bless you. We honor you and worship you today. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, amen and amen.